Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Welcome to this episode of Midweek in the Word. We're glad you're joining us for another week as we study the Word together. Um, As always, I'm Pastor Brad, and I am joined by Pastor Tom, our preaching pastor, for another week. Um, And Tom, in your message this last Sunday, uh, we ran with kind of a screeching halt into a few books that most of us are either really uncomfortable with or or possibly make us a little sleepy. Uh, We hit Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And and so this week in the podcast, I'd like to slow down a little bit and discuss an interpretive element uh, that all four of those books have in commoners. Um, listeners, here's your opportunity. Uh, quiz your biblical knowledge. Do you know what I'm referring to? What do the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy have in common that you think we might be talking about in this week's podcast? Uh, but Tom, while our listeners consider that, um, as as always, we want to move back and refresh from this last Sunday. In Route 66, in your sermon series on Genesis through Revelation, you focused in on Exodus and Numbers primarily and talked about the person and life of Moses. So what did we learn about God uh, through your discussion on the life of Moses? Well, there are several major points, but I think the biggest one is that our God is a redeeming God, that uh, he provides deliverance for those in bondage, in their case, bondage to the Egyptians, in our case, bondage to our sin. I think that's the overlap. I think the other one that was intriguing, didn't have much time to unpack it Sunday, is that it, this one that Jacob called, my, who's been my shepherd all the days of my life, mm-hmm. sets up a theme all the way through that God shepherds his people, mm-hmm. and he'll pick that up all the way into the Revelation. Very nice. Very nice, which, which kind of that idea of shepherding, building that idea, moves us into mankind. What, what yeah. did this life of Moses speak to as far as us and humanity? Well, it's humanity. We are uh, stubborn at heart, and uh, we are bound in our sin <laughs> hmm. and incapable of delivering ourselves. So this Redeemer, the shepherd who seeks hmm. the lost, is essential because we can't save ourselves. Yeah, no doubt. And it's a painful irony that what we talked about a little bit last week, that the people being saved out of Egypt wasn't really their biggest issue. That's um, right. And we see that in yeah. Exodus. We see that in Numbers. We see that all over the place, that the people are being shown that their hearts are really the problem. Yeah, I think uh, the one line there wasn't time for <laughs> on Sunday is that it was a much easier for God to deliver Israel from Egypt than mm-hmm. it was for him to get Egypt out of Israel. Yeah. So they had, they had imbibed the culture and the gods and all of that. And so you just see their bound sinful hearts, even though they're liberated from human slavery, they're still slaves to their own sin. Mm-hmm. Which is so true of us so so consistently, because mm-hmm. we're blind to our own sin. You know, the, the culture, the fall of Adam, the things that influence our behavior yeah. that really resonate with the people of Israel in that way. Yep. Very nice. Um, thirdly, then, what about the person and work of Christ? How, how does the life and story of Moses point us that direction? Well, in, in, in several ways, uh, but I, I think if, if God is a redeeming God and we, mm. we are a sinful people in bondage, then Christ is that deliverer. Mm. But then we title the, the, the shepherd theme. He is also the one that called himself the shepherd, the good one, mm. and who Peter calls the chief shepherd. So uh, that one who delivers, awful delivers to lead, and we look for that in John 10 and mm. in other places in the New Testament. Yeah. An encouragement to anticipate Christ yeah. in, in those books in the Pentateuch. 
very nice. So, so let's move back. Uh, we're going to move back to the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, listeners, do you know what element we're talking about? Hopefully, you've guessed it potentially by now. Um, we're going to be talking this week about the literary style or genre of law. Uh, the thing that scares us off from the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, likely not your favorite portion of scripture when you hit the reading. It's, it's kind of for most people like Nebraska. It's a flyover book. When you hit the law, you say, can I have permission to kind of skip over this and get to the place that is a little more comfortable for you? Uh, before you tune us out, though, um, on this discussion, thinking that we're going to spend the last 20 minutes of your life uh, talking about bodily discharges from Leviticus 15, hold in here for us, because uh, this is a largely misunderstood aspect of literature, but it's absolutely essential in our understanding of the message of Scripture. So, Tom, even though most of our listeners have probably run into law writing in their, in their reading of the Bible, whether it's been in this year's reading as they're working through the Bible or otherwise, let's make sure we're all on the same page. What is the genre or literary style of law? Well, I, I think the setting uh, frames its interpretation. Uh, God has delivered a really large family, maybe two and a half million people, mm -hmm. but they go from being this large unorganized family to where he is crafting them, molding them into a nation. Mm -hmm. And a nation has to have guidelines, guidelines and laws and controlling factors. And so uh, he is shaping them to be his people living according to his rules and commandments. Uh, one of the authors said it, 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 the laws point the way for Israel through obedience to enjoy God's fullest blessing mm -hmm. and to restore their relationship when disobedience has stained it. So there's this sense that, that God is building a relationship with a mm -hmm. nation and he uses the laws for that accomplishment. Yeah, in our current culture, we tend to think as laws as, as restraining or restrictive, almost yeah. with a negative connotation, and God is more laying out, here's how you be in relationship with me, which yeah. we should consider to be a positive thing. Yeah, I know if, if, if the nations around them looked at their obedience to the laws, they would say, so that's the character of their God. Mm. So it was his way, we're creating in his image, but the other reflection is that if you comply with the laws of God, you understand the character of God. And so he lays them out in great detail for that reason. Again, reinforcing your main theme of yeah. what do we learn about God, the story yeah. being about God first and foremost. Um, secondarily, kind of related to this, where all do we find this genre, this literary style in the Bible? Well, the concentration is obviously in Leviticus and uh, repeated again in Deuteronomy. Uh, it shows up frequently through the Old Testament, but uh, if you want to know what the law is, you start in Exodus 20, mm -hmm. where God lays it out with all the commandments, but he really expands upon it in Leviticus, repeats it in Deuteronomy, the second law, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice, yeah. And, and, and then we kind of get moving out of it, or it presumes, the rest of Scripture, if yeah. you will, presumes that you have an understanding of what the yeah. Old Testament law was. Yeah, that's the standard that God is measuring love by. Yeah, actually. so the prophets write back yeah. and, and speak to the law, though it's not exactly the law genre. Is that fair to say? I think that's it. Yeah, okay. they, they just uh, constantly going back as you violated the law, you knew the law, mm -hmm. you didn't. Um, and But again, intensifying the frustration. Yeah. You know, the <laughs> law had a purpose, and it was to show men that he could not redeem himself. He couldn't yeah. deliver himself. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but now, but now we're in the new covenant, right? You know, because yeah. that's what people would say is now we're in the new covenant. So, so why can't I just skip over these portions of the scripture? I'm I'm not living in ancient Israel. Uh, help me understand how does this how does this help us as we're reading through the Bible? Well, the new covenant has this wonderful promise that says that our law will no longer be an external yes do don't do. Mm. But it will be written on the fleshly tablets of our heart, which is an indwelling Holy Spirit. So what he will do in his indwelling in the new covenant is enable me to fulfill what I could not fulfill in the flesh. So uh, we, we need to understand what God's expectations are in order to know. I, mean, I, I think the abuses of law is I either apply it rigidly and frustrate myself and everybody around me, <laughs> or I just throw it out and say it doesn't apply anymore and live any way I licentiously want to, yeah. both of which are extreme violations of what the intention was. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So so we recognize that it's authoritative, that it's inspired, that this portion of Scripture, just like every other portion of Scripture, has an influence on our life, and we're expected to read through it, um, though we have to read through it with the right lens, if you will, the right hermeneutic to yeah. speak to what we yeah. were talking about last week. So as we seek to understand this stuff, as we get down into the kind of the weeds of it, uh, let's, a little, let's explore a little bit how we do that. Um, what are some things we need to keep in mind when we run into these passages that could be categorized as law? Well, there are, there are basically three elements related to law. Uh, because it is uh, guidelines for a nation to reflect the image of God, there are some civil laws that are appropriated, applied. There are some how does a nation worship God, so there's ceremonial laws mm-hmm. that apply to how to approach him. And then overall, there's the moral law. How do, how do God's people relate to one another and to the world around them? So as you're studying the laws, reading the laws, you're asking yourself, am I studying something under the civil? This is, applies to the nation of Israel as mm. the people of God, with him as the theocratic king over that? Mm. Or is this applied to the ceremonial acts of worship? Or does this apply to the moral standard that abides even today? So let's say we're reading through and we run into a passage that's speaking to um, a legal situation, you know, restitution or something like that, that you would say is civil, uh, how the nation of Israel should organize itself. How would we approach to that? Is that something that we should then try and translate into the way our nation is run? Or what's the right way to approach that? Well, it's, it's rather interesting that in most people groups, you will find that they have laws established that are a close uh, reflection of those kinds of Mm. things, you know, restitution and possession and properties and uh, all of that. But uh, I think the guideline there is that God is teaching the people how to live in a community, Mm. and these guidelines will help you live among each other. So if you take something that doesn't belong to you, give it back. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you destroy something that's not yours, replace it. That's that keeps unity in the community. So in that case, we're still to love the Lord our God with all our heart and our neighbors mm-hmm. ourselves. So that part of it continues. But rather, we should repay four times over. If I stole something from my neighbor, I should just, mm. you know, make restitution to the equal value. Go buy a kid a new bicycle or, you know, right. I blew up the engine on his mowers. Go buy him a new mower and I had to buy him four mowers. <laughs> so the law would give more intense guidelines. I think the principle is mm. what does it mean to live in community and love your neighbor? Mm. 
Very good. Uh, how about ceremonial? Because it would be easy to say this is a one-to-one. You know, the Old Testament yep. ceremonial stuff should apply to us in the church, how we worship in the New Testament. What do we do when we run into some practices for the Levites or some sort of ceremonial law? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is read the book of Leviticus with a highlighter. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, and look for those repeated lines and phrases and statements. And like I said, mm. Sunday, suddenly in Leviticus alone, uh, the word holy appears 80 times. Mm. So ceremonially, I have to recognize that that God that I am approaching in worship is the same God he was back then. Mm. But by God's grace, I don't have to bring an animal and kill it and apply the blood in order to worship and Mm -hmm. approach him. So I look and go, who is the God and what did he expect? And his standards have not been reduced, Mm -hmm. but the requirement for approaching him has been fulfilled through his son, Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I begin to say, what are are the guidelines? God is the same, but how do I approach him? Then I've got to read the New Testament to ask myself, are there ceremonies here that imply to me, apply to me even today. Hmm. So maybe in a, in a broad context, something to the effect of uh, the Levites and the Jews clearly had a high standard of God's power, God's holiness, um, and were, were fearful in a, in a healthy way of yeah. that in a way that maybe our culture doesn't tend to be, thinking about coming yeah. into the presence of an all-powerful God. Uh, there's some reverence there that we tend to lose maybe in our culture. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we've totally lost it, hmm. it as evangelicals. I, I, I think we... Uh, we approach worship on Sunday morning as a great chance to connect with my friends. Mm. And then as the music begins, we sing the words on the wall without giving them a thought or anything mm. and don't realize that we have assembled ourselves in the presence of that holy God in the Old Testament of whom they said, man, don't even touch the base of the mountain. This yeah. is God's place. And uh, I mean, even Hebrews said, you know, it's a, uh, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Mm. And we forget that because we're so used to grace so I think our worship needs to be uh, evaluated, assessed again. Do I understand the holiness of the one that I'm approaching? And to do it in reverence, but without fear. And there's the difference, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's a good reminder as we look through the book of Leviticus, you know, that maybe maybe not to rigidly ap- apply everything in the same way. We're yeah. not being asked off for animal sacrifices. Yeah. We're not being asked to worry about the tabernacle or the temple. But there is something about the heart of God there that, that we would do well to listen to. Well, and, and, and God's reproof of Moses for striking the rock when he told mm-hmm. him to speak to it, and he did the wrong thing, but it worked. Yeah. But the end result, he said, because you did not treat me as holy before the people, you're not going to lead them into the land. And mm-hmm. we're thinking, wow, that's a little extreme. Well, why was he so extreme? Because it's the same. He wants us to understand how holy God is, yeah. and we're just so flippant about it. And so I think we do need to restore a sense of awe and reverence without the fear yeah. aspect. The fear was absorbed by Jesus on the cross, but yeah. God is still holy. Mm. Yeah, it's a good reminder. Thirdly, and maybe this is the most easy for us to understand, you know, the Ten Commandments or or things similar to this on the moral aspect of the law. Um, When we run into things like like the Ten Commandments, like similar moral laws... um, Help give us an idea how to how to move that forward to the new covenant. How to understand that correctly? Well, it's interesting that in in the Ten Commandments, especially how many of those show up in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. And uh, so, other than the Sabbath, uh, Jesus intensified those. So you know, we're not to commit adultery, but He said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you're already mm. guilty of adultery. Or you're not to murder your brother, but if you hate your brother, you're guilty. Yeah. Of murder, so he didn't lower the standard; he raised it. 
And in, in that, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Yeah. And so we're looking, going, what are those love your neighbors yourself, love the Lord your God with all your heart? What are those principles that are repeated in the New Testament? And like I said, the only one that's not repeated is the one on the Sabbath, and yeah. we find our Sabbath rest in Christ, and therefore mm-hmm. we don't worry about, is it Saturday or Sunday, because I am resting by faith in Christ. Yeah. Good reminder. So let's let's get into the, the weeds of this a little bit. Let's let's talk about some practical aspects. Um, let's look at an example. Uh, Leviticus 17, 10 through 16 gives us laws against eating blood. Something that I don't know, maybe makes us squeamish or maybe people identify with. I'm not sure uh, what your cultural tradition is related to that. But let me just read this passage briefly and then I want to work through real quickly um, some of the steps of coma that you would do, Tom. Um, It says this in verse 10, if any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut off from among his people for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Anyone also of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it or cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature for the life of every creature is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beast, whether he is a native or sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. So it prohibits eating blood in the meat. Um, let's work through the steps of coma here real briefly for our listeners. What, what would you understand to be the context of a passage like this? Well, in this particular case, it flows out of what it means to offer sacrifices mm-hmm. and how and why. Uh, so I would, I would look at the context to begin with. I would also look at the context of the book, which is how does a fallen sinful human being approach a holy and an unstained yeah. God? So the context, I think, determines it. And I would move to the observation, and I would just use a highlighter and highlight the number of times the word blood shows up in the text and uh, uh, the number of times that the life shows up in the text. There's a relationship between the blood and the life. Then he moves to just as you're out hunting and you're not actually offering sacrifices, does the rule change because you're not applying the blood to the altar? Hmm. It's not a covering or an atonement for something, but it still represents the life of that animal that was killed. So there is this principle of the life in the blood and then it, it points us forward, so then you begin to ask yourself the question, so, okay, I've made these observations, what does it mean? And the meaning for it probably is found in the greater context of the Scripture. Mm-hmm. So then you're going, so what does he do with this blood theme he repeats over and over? And later on he'll say, without the shedding of blood, there cannot be the forgiveness of sins. And then you find out that we are redeemed not by the shed blood of a lamb, of unblemished bull, mm-hmm. but by the shed blood of the unblemished Son of God, the Lord mm-hmm. Jesus, the lamb that was slain. And, and so you start to follow that. And then finally you come back and ask yourself in the application side of it, so what am I supposed to do about the food that I eat? And again, 
when you eat something that had blood in it, by the time you eat it, the blood is gone. It, in other words, a life was given and you recognize that. At the same time, you recognize that because of what Christ has done in shedding his blood, that I no longer have to take that blood and apply it. That mm. it, It's just a reminder of the freedom. So uh, freedom we have in Christ, I think. Uh, yeah, so thankfully, not a prohibition against eating a medium-rare steak. Yeah. Really, more the point here is that the that connection between life and blood well, that I think God that is reinforcing Linda for their culture. Well, I would to speak to that. She yeah. would say, no, there is a prohibition against eating <laughs> steak rare. Go. Yeah, if, if it turns your baked potato a different color, then you're eating it too soon. <laughs> there we go. Yes, bottom line, yeah, it's not telling us uh, what condition our meat ought to be in when we consume it, but it's what is the value of the blood and learning to value life, and mm. then the death of Christ for that he might give us life. Mm. It, it's a picture that's painted forward. Helps us really anticipate the substitutionary yeah. atonement of Christ. Yeah. yeah, good. Well, hopefully that's helpful to you as listeners. I, I can't guarantee that all of the things we've talked about will make reading about some of the difficult laws in the Old <laughs> Testament any easier for you, but my hope is that if you slow down a bit on them... Um, and consider some of what we've talked about. Consider what type of law is being given. Consider the relevance as it moves through Christ into the new covenant. Consider what it's saying to us about the person of God, the fact that there's not an Old Testament and a New Testament God who are different. God hasn't changed. And so something there in the Old Testament law is helping us understand who God is. Um, as you study through these Old Testament laws, which we all admit are at times challenging for us to read through. So, so our encouragement to you is, Hang in there, do the work, try to understand these. And uh, as always, my encouragement is if you have any questions, just shoot Tom an email and he'd be happy to answer <laughs> any of those questions for yeah. you on the subject. But, uh, but as, as, we, as we hit the off ramp here, Tom, um, this coming Sunday, you're talking about Aaron, uh, the chief priest uh, alongside Moses in yeah. Exodus through Deuteronomy. Uh, what are you looking forward to most about Sunday's sermon? Well, the read of it has been fun in that uh, Aaron was three years old when uh, Moses was born. Hmm. He probably was no more than five when his brother was adopted into the palace. And so then you see this reconciliation in the wilderness that takes place. And you realize that the big brother is the assistant, as it were, to the little brother. And uh, the whole principle of the hardest instrument in the orchestra to play is second fiddle. Hmm. And uh, what, do, what do we learn from Aaron playing in the shadow of his brother Moses. Nice. Um, what about interpretive questions? What are you wrestling with with Aaron? Well, he, he sets the standard for us on what it means to be a believer priest. Hmm. And so with Aaron as the high priest who would bring the sacrifices and the offerings, and yet Jesus, or I mean Peter, after uh, responding to it, says, but we are a nation, a kingdom hmm. of priests and we offer holy sacrifices. So looking for what do we learn from Aaron's approach to ministry that still applies today to those of us who have the freedom to enter into God's presence with sacrifices of praise? Yeah, the priesthood of all believers yeah. being something we need to take very seriously, no doubt. Um, and how can we prepare our hearts for the themes of the message we're going to hear on Sunday? Well, I, I think we prepare for celebration would be the best thing. No more bloody animals. So mm. we don't have to worry about staining the carpet. We don't have to worry about the, the horrendous aroma of flesh burning on Oof. the altar. God graciously did that. No more dividing curtain. We, we can come into the holy presence mm. of God with boldness. Uh, no 
earthly priest who will receive our confessions and take them because we come Amen. ourselves. Basically, it's gratitude for the freedom that we have to access the holy God that was described back in Leviticus. Mm. And I can amend that again and again as somebody who grew up in western Nebraska and went to my fair share of brandings. I can tell you all you want to avoid the smell of burning yeah. hair. Uh, this is a real blessing that we have, no doubt. Well, thank you, Tom. We'll look forward to hearing uh, more on those subjects and Aaron uh, this coming Sunday. We do hope you will join us for both Sunday's message again and next week for the podcast. Remember, if you're following along in the reading, this week in anticipation of Aaron, we have Exodus 4, 18 through 31, and Exodus 32, 1 through 35. And I just want to do another quick plug for the Sermon Series podcast. Um, I didn't mention last week, uh, there are a lot of Faith Bible churches out there that have podcasts. And so if you're looking for ours, it is the the black background with the white letters, Faith Bible Church. want to make sure you find the right one if you're trying to catch up on sermons. Um, and again, we'll be praying for you as you are reading through the law for yourself as you run into different portions of those scripture that the spirit would enable you to understand them appropriately. And we hope you join us again next week as we'll be talking more about the person of Aaron um, and understanding how to interpret scripture better. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.